I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 150. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In November 2007, an original 1931 Dracula poster with the famous face of Bella Lugosi and a blue background sold at auction for $525,000. There are only two surviving ones left, and if it was in mint condition, the auction house thought that it would fetch $700,000. We love when you go to that ratings and review tab on Apple Podcasts and not only give us some stars, but actually take the time to write us a note. This show is very much your show and that connection is everything to us. If you take the time to write a review, we'll take the time to read it at the top of the show like Leo's going to do right now. We got one from Rob Sukash. He writes, great horror podcast. Really enjoy the hosts and their banter. Love the respect they have for the genre and their guests. The guest intros are the best. He rates it five stars. Oh, thank you, Rob. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rob. That's yes. so nice. Yeah, Thanks thank for putting you. up with my intros, too, by the way. No, <laughs> people like it. Oh, Lauren, take us into the next one. All right. We have a review from Ethan JD. Favorite horror podcast by far. Stumbled across them when they had Spencer Charnes on originally. Favorite band and vocalist. The interviews and guests on the show are gnarly. Can't wait to hear more. Also, Incident in Ghostland is a fantastic film. Hey, it sure is, Ethan. Huh. It really is. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's probably one of the better movies I've seen this year, I yeah. would say. Stumbled across on Shudder. Check it out. It yeah. will not disappoint. It was great. Ratings? Five stars. Thank you so much, Ethan. If you want your review right at the top of the show, Leo's going to tell you exactly what to do. Go to Apple Podcasts and write the review. That's it. Simple as that. Easy peasy. Is that it? This time around, we are joined by Matt Truix. He's a good friend of the show and is the U.S. marketing manager of a little place called Prop Store. They are having a massive two-day entertainment memorabilia live auction at time of release next week, August 26th and 27th. It takes place here in LA and simultaneously all over the world where you are. Join in online. It's your opportunity to own actual screen-use props from not only your favorite horror and sci-fi films, but all genres are well represented. We get to see a pair of Edward Scissorhands hands, highlight some of the insane items up for grabs like Alfred Hitchcock's film camera, Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio's cars from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and a ton of amazing treasures from the Alien franchise, all coming up. Get your bids in now for episode 150. Take the camera. I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. We're going to go around the room and around the world wide web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock. <laughs> We're each going to highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit, starting as usual with Leo. Well, hey guys, let me tell you, I love vampire movies, man, and I had to revisit this one. 
because we had the star of this movie on our podcast on episode 145, and I think she's such a badass. I'm talking about Sheila Van's movie, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Nice! Ooh! Yeah! We're talking about a very big twist on a vampire movie. Uh, This movie came out in 2014, and it's uh, directed by Anna Lily Amirpour, and it was also written by her. General premise of this movie is in the Iranian ghost town of Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness. The townspeople are unaware that they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire at night. So the beautiful thing is that the vampire herself is played by Sheila Vand, and it's got this great cast of characters like Arash Morandi plays Arash, and Marshall Manesh plays Hossein the, the junkie. Dominic Reigns plays Saeed the pimp. So it's got these these awesome characters that you start to get some little background stories on throughout the movie but i really loved it it's shot in black and white it was filmed in uh taft california by the way which is up north i believe it's west of bakersfield if i'm not mistaken but this movie is perhaps the first ever iranian romantic vampire drama thriller with the styles of like spaghetti westerns and graphic novels you get that feel of the 1950s like uh rebel gang flicks you know or like the greasers and the guy you know the gangs that usually, you know, they always fight over nothing you know girls or whatever you know and she skateboards it's right <laughs> she's awesome. a skateboarding vampire which um looks really bizarre really bizarre because of the, the way the camera you know follows the movement and how she's just steady and just like casually skateboarding to her destinations but yeah it's beautifully shot in black and white and it, it often uses this vignette type of lighting so it's like that old classic old movie type of lighting where like it spotlights the actors almost or, you know, and you see like the rest of the room, like in like, you know, shadows, you know. So I think it has a really cool effect throughout the whole movie. And also, um, to me, the, you know, the standout is, of course, you know, Sheila plays, you know, the girl, the vampire. Uh, her, she sells a performance in her subtle facial expressions and with her eyes for most of the time. Like, you know, she does speak here and there, but it's just awesome that she's up to no good or, you know, she's up to good, whatever it is simply with their facial expressions. So we'll say there are some fun facts about this movie. Uh, you know, this is, um, you know, Sheila did for the most part, most of her skateboarding sequences, but there are a couple of them uh, that were like the long shots. And that was actually the director, Anna. She did the long shots of the skateboarding, but the other ones were done by Sheila. Even though the movie's supposed to be um, a mythical Middle Eastern city, like I said, it was actually, you know, shot up north, which is really interesting because it does have that California feel, but it's not the script. It's like, you never know where they're at or even the time period. And this was shot pretty quickly, like in 24 days, I believe. And the, the fun thing is this movie never uses the word vampire in the movie once. As a joke, she comes across a guy who, um, you know, that she befriends, that she knows in the movie, and she, she calls him, or he calls himself Dracula, which is pretty funny. But one of the fun things is if you look at the movie posters above her bed of uh, Sheila's character, there are three that are instantly recognizable from albums, iconic albums. One is the music of the Bee Gees, Michael Jackson's Thriller and Madonna's first album. Now, the cool thing is, while the Bee Gees poster seems authentic, it appears that imposters are posing in the Michael Jackson and Madonna posters. Oh, this interesting. Might have, wow. Yeah, it was like, Licensing so issue, maybe? I, yeah, I don't know, but it might have been done deliberately to create that unsettling atmosphere in the film. Sure. Which leads me to, hey, as you're watching this film, pay attention to what's in the background of every scene, because it is off and it is unsettling but i highly recommend this she's a badass in this movie i really love vampire flicks this is a whole twist on the genre i recommend it go check it out that's kind of like when you have a nightmare and you know or a dream and everything doesn't look right and people's faces yeah, don't yeah. look yeah. like the way they normally are yeah i'm right. having a lot of those 
Yeah, you know what? I have a canker in the back of my tongue. Leo, you ever had that? No. It's like impossible to talk. I've had a canker at the very back of the oh, base of my God. tongue. You've had it for a while. Yeah. Like how long? Dude. I don't know. What the hell? Three days. You have to get Damn. the canker stick. Yeah. Lauren got canker sticks. It's supposed to touch the canker and it just like, oh. right? Solders it Dude. off. Like a vampire. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Oh, I got to try this. We should oh, do an Instagram live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Lauren and I checked out a film released in 2013 directed by Mr. Ty West. Woo! It's a film oh. called The Sacrament. Yeah! Nice. The Sacrament. Yes. Woo! All right. So it's a, some people call it a found footage film. It really isn't. It's more of a documentary. It's not a mockumentary, but it's right. a, in a do, shot in a documentary style through the lens of two vice journalists played by A.J. Bowen and Joe Swanberg who go on a trip to an isolated religious community called Eden Parish to visit a friend's sister played by Amy Simons. And, yes. you know, all hell breaks loose. I really like this movie. I love movies that have to do with cults. Like, I find them so fascinating. And... This had to do with cult-like people and their behavior. And and I also love polygamists. Like, I'm fascinated with them. I mean, I don't <laughs> love them. I'm like, I wanna, you don't want to be a polygamist? I don't want a sister wife. Right. Although um, sometimes it gets a little crazy over right? here. And I'm thinking, wow. Yeah, you've talked about this before. I have. Like, imagine having all these other people to help out. Exactly. Right? That are part of your family. Like that are our age. How does, that, how, does that, how does that work? Is it one man and a bunch of women, or is it like? Yeah. The way I've typically seen it is yeah, seen it. There's a reality show yeah, with yeah, the guy yeah. who has all the uh, the wives. Oh um, man, sister wives, right? Is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. I I can't watch TV anymore. I don't have time. But <laughs> um, when I did, when we had a few less kids. It was fascinating. Yeah, but it was him and a, a yeah, bunch of wives. Three. Does it ever work the other way around? I don't think one so. wife, a bunch of husbands. No, I don't. Why not? Is it? I think the Mormon religion doesn't see it that way. Okay. Maybe maybe it does some places. I'm sure that there have been women that have adapted that. We could just start it. (laughs) Right. The funny that you say you do mention the the cult thing as we had actually talked to Ty ourselves on this very show and he has mentioned it in a lot of interviews that this story is obviously based on the Reverend Jim Jones who had a congregation of hundreds of followers move with him east of Venezuela to build something called the People's Temple Agricultural Project in in the 70s. And in November 78, they were visited by a U.S. congressman named Leo Ryan, who is concerned over their welfare. After he was trying to leave in the airstrip, he had brought some cult members who actually wanted to leave with him. And at the airstrip, himself and four other people were shot and killed and then after that, Reverend Jim Jones then got his remaining followers to drink the cyanide-laced punch, and they committed this mass suicide on November 18th, 1978. Over 900 people died. So oh, this was kind of Ty's way of telling that story through the lens of these vice media journalists to kind of take you there and to experience something truly Horrific. He actually told Variety that the goal was to remind people that real violence is often a lot scarier than zombies and vampires and ghosts and whatnot, stuff he doesn't believe in. This is the real stuff. Yeah, I wanted to cry at the end. I mean, it's a horror movie, and I was like, this is so sad. I couldn't imagine being that brainwashed and then 
trying to escape and not being able to. It's just, it's horrific on a whole other level. Now, we love Ty West and his films. We loved him since Cabin yeah. Fever 2, a movie he has disassociated himself with, but I still think it's amazing. House of the Devil, probably one of the best horror films that we've ever seen. Yep. He did yeah. a movie called Trigger Man, The Roost, one of his early films, Innkeepers, In the Valley of Violence, yeah. all incredible movies. He's just a masterful storyteller. He knows how to create pure dread. And I think his films yep. are so thick with dread, you could cut it with a knife. He also doesn't wince when it comes to violence, but he orchestrates its attack so carefully and precisely. It's never overbearing. It's just absolutely unsettling and these movies tend to crawl inside of you and you think about them forever they're almost traumatic events and this film certainly does that it's got a score from tyler bates who actually just came up recently who's collaborated with gavin rossdale on the latest bush album he's known for his work with rob zombie on films like devil's rejects and halloween movies and he's collaborated with marilyn manson a number of times as well and another plus that this thing had was that a lot of the cast was actually were actually filmmakers themselves. Joe Swanberg, who plays a cameraman, is actually, you know, a very well-regarded indie filmmaker himself. So he was able to shoot like 20% of the film with his actual camera. And then Amy Simons, who we had on recently for She Dies, uh, She Dies Tomorrow. It's just a great movie. I can't believe it's been so long that we went without seeing it, being such massive Ty West fans. I know. What were we right. thinking? I don't know. I don't know. It was actually Amy's <laughs> appearance on on this show that had us kind of go and look over some of those films and, oh my God, she's in this. And then we, yeah, we went down that rabbit hole and it's just amazing. So definitely yeah, you, go you check know, it which, out. You know which movie uh, made me think of the sacrament recently, not that long ago, was The Lodge. Yeah. It had that same yeah, vibe. Don't they... They also like kind of like elude. They show you some stuff that it's like she yeah. lived through that kind of you know That's right. that. So I was like, oh, pretty interesting time there. All the cabins in Eden Parish were built specifically for the movie. Thirty minutes of background information was ultimately cut from the movie, and the film was financed without a finished script. The film was also shot in chronological order. And what I found interesting is Gene Jones, who plays father, it's the same last name as Jim Jones. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like they were in some like in the jungles of South America or something. They filmed it right outside of Savannah, Georgia. Are you serious? Yeah, that's right. Oh, interesting. And Amy Simons herself said that she was shell-shocked by how dark the film was after she saw the premiere at TIFF. Anyway, yeah, see it. You don't know what's really going on here. This place is not what it seems. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios, a very good friend of the show and a returning guest. He's an incredibly talented visual artist and host of the Lois and Clark podcast. Through his work with Prop Store, He has played an important role in getting screen-used items and production-made relics from TV and film into the hands of collectors all over the world. You will get a chance to be one of those collectors with their upcoming two-day auction. Plenty of incredible, iconic treasures from the world of horror, sci-fi, and more. We are incredibly excited to welcome Prop Store's U.S. Marketing Manager, Matt Truix. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was not expecting that intro. It's wonderful to be back here. The only problem right now, and we've said this in emails, like, I hate not being in your 
studio right now oh, and not getting a tour of how much your house has changed over the past year. But. You know what? Thanks to the help of you guys, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, furnished by Prop Store. <laughs> yeah. So I want to start off our conversation just for anyone who hasn't heard our previous chat with you. Can you sure. talk a little bit about the history of Prop Store and what you guys do? Yeah, well, uh, Prop Store's got 20 years under its belt now, um, which I've been a, a part of almost half of it now, <laughs> believe it or not. But it started as uh, in London uh, with Stephen Lane, who was a prop collector and wanted to find or create a company that would make prop and costume collecting easy. Uh, since then, it started as just a fixed price model. We've now got a fixed price model, but we really focus on live auctions. We've got auctions all year round online for, for various titles of films. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, we just did one for uh, Marvel's The Defenders. So we had you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and all them involved in that. And uh, now we're gearing up for uh, our first, what we call entertainment memorabilia live auctions out of the Los Angeles companies. So the first time that we stateside have done one of these auctions uh, and naturally a pandemic hits. Right of course, right? <laughs> um, of so course. It, it's, it's changed a few plans, but we're still, we're going strong and uh, very excited to have this auction going with over 860 items from over 350 titles. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So now this is the first time that this is in Los Angeles. And I know you guys are Mm -hmm. doing this just for me. So I don't have to stay up (laughs) all night and watch London time. I'm up at 4 a.m. You're welcome. I'm like, how many more hours till my lot? Because you never know how fast or slow it's going to move. So thank you Mm -hmm. for doing this for me. You're very welcome. I'm sure that's not the reason why you did it just for me. But what was the need to have a Los Angeles auction and not just the London one. Sure. So the, the London one, uh, I think we've done six or seven now. This might be the seventh this year, but they, they've been so strong for us. And really, we've built up a, an audience uh, around the world of collectors over the past couple of years doing them out of London. For LA, it's uh, really the the vast majority of the industry is out here. You know, or the London house does auctions all year round too, but we're the ones that tend to have more relationships with studios. So the idea of doing it out here amongst industry professionals, you know, like getting consignments from them, getting them to bid and and kind of take take ownership of this industry they're a part of, that was a big driving factor for us. Speaking of the pandemic, how has that affected the mechanics of how you guys oh, do an auction? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're still figuring out the plan for um, this auction. What we did for the, the Defenders auction I mentioned before, that was a live one as well. And one where we'd usually invite people in, you know, to, to come and bid in the room. Instead, it was all over Zoom. We're all on screens in different offices throughout the building, all zooming in to our auctioneer who's got us in her ear and is holding the auction is is calling the lots in what we call the auction cage we've got a big plexiglass wow. piece up so that that tech crew can be around her so that she can be on camera and not have uh, the mask on it's basically it's the same crew that we would usually have just spread out and everyone's on zoom all day we all look like secret agents because we're all just in our offices like yeah no, no no 200 yeah so it's it's such a different atmosphere uh, as far as our side of things go for the bidders, though, it's the exact same thing, which is great. You know, we've got we've got a camera right on the auctioneer. Uh, here she is calling it out, uh, and we'll have phone bidders as well who will be on Zoom and and calling into the other rooms. Wow! 
How do you think the current economy is going to affect pricing? And do you think there's any like good deals to be had? There's an argument for that. The, the, um, and I'm going to sound so salesy this whole time. The, the amazing thing is like the pandemic happened, quarantine happened, and we had an auction up. We had um, House of the Clock on its wall, the, the Jack Black movie, yes. which like, which was was doing fine and like isn't isn't the most recognizable ip but had really cool stuff and our audience was into it but the minute that hit we're all like how is this gonna go you know like people really don't know this movie very much it was just one it's on a whole franchise blah blah blah. and from that auction on they've all been performing above our estimates so that was it's it's very exciting to know that i think people are just kind of hungry for some entertainment at home some live entertainment you know especially now like we've all watched you know, Tiger King 80 times, like we're, we're done with whatever's on Netflix. Um, so it, it's, I, I think the entertainment factor has kept people around and bidding. That said, I, the beautiful thing in this auction, like we might touch on some of the stuff that goes up to like 200, $300,000, but then there's stuff in it that's starting at $200, you know, or $100. So there, there's always, there's always a chance that you can get something good in these auctions, but we've just been excited to see that bidders, are still active, are still excited for these opportunities and are at home as bored as us just waiting for that that bid to come up, you know? Yeah. And I mean, speaking of that, having this to be able to project on your television while you're watching this auction, anyone yeah. who has not done this, it is so exciting. To us, it's more exciting than like a championship football game or something. It's amazing. We're weird. We're weird. We love it though. No, I think I'm, a lot I'm, of people like it. People like watching like Antique Roadshow, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, this is nope. like Same our thing. Super Bowl for sure. Right, well, I'm glad you guys are excited. And again, it's all for you. So, <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that House of the Clock and it's Walzaki. I love that movie, by the way. That yes. beautiful set design. It's a great movie, yeah. And the props in oh, there absolutely. were insane. I remember seeing, yeah, I was thinking because it was one of the first auctions that I had seen post lockdown and pandemic, right? Or ju- right yeah. at the beginning of it. And it I was, was thinking, like literally the second week of it or so out here. So it was just like, we didn't even know how to do it from home yet. Like it was just so strange. I was ready to be like, okay, nothing's going to sell. It's going to be, everyone's at home. Right. No one's got any money. It's going to be, nope. Like it was going crazy. In fact, I recently saw that the, um, what's that cabinet that held the spell uh, book? Yeah, the necromancy cabinet Yes, there. that thing was beautiful. Yeah. Hand nice. carved, all the skulls. And it was just a, an amazing thing. It ended up showing up at Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in Vegas. Oh, cool. So I don't know if I it's him who bought that or someone, but that's where it is now on display. That's <laughs> right. I, yeah, I didn't know that. In terms of uh, horror and sci-fi props, what are some of the most coveted or sought-after items uh, collectors are looking for? The iconic stuff, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it counts as, as horror, but like, I'm looking at a pair of stunt uh, Edward Scissorhands hands, yeah. um, <gasps> you know, like that, that type of thing, like a Freddy glove, um, a, a Jason mask, um, I've never seen one, but I'm dying for the day where a Michael mask comes in, you know, like that stuff, the really uh, recognizable stuff. Um, like uh, next to me here. Okay. This is the only time I'm going to do this because I'm worried about our setup, but um, I've got an alien queen puppet over here <gasps> from aliens. Um, oh, which, this is not the best shot of it, but like stuff like that, where it's just instantly recognizable. Like, even if you don't know that that's the queen, you know, that's a xenomorph. So, so it's always the iconic stuff that does very well. But then there's there's fans like me that kind of like the smaller things that like the paperwork that like the 
wasn't a live auction, but we had like a phone book from Batman Returns at one point of like the Gotham Yellow Pages. I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world, you <laughs> yeah. know. So it's it, it <laughs> yeah. really depends from collector to collector. The the iconic stuff is always going to do crazy well. And then if you're a fan of it and you just want that little matchbook from, you know, Biff's Casino in alternate 1985, you can get it. But speaking of all that stuff, I know it's something we've talked about before on the show with you. But again, for people who weren't able to hear that first chat that we had with you, take us a bit through the process of authenticating these items as they come to prop store and before they're given up in auction. Yeah. So it really depends. Like um, the, the online auctions, like we were talking about House of the Clock on its Wall or like right after that, we did star trek or defenders that's stuff where we're working with the studio so it's coming directly from the studio there's no question of authenticity there the only question there is like was this a prototype was this not used where was this used you know so that that's kind of what our research is in that but in that we have the studio resources available to us we can usually ask the prop guy like why is this phaser from star trek a little different or whatever um with this auction you know this is the this is the cherry stuff basically that we find all year long so the authentication process is a little more involved it'll be a lot of watching the movie pausing and checking and then every once in a while if there's something that we're not sure on uh if something that might be easily replicated you know like uh, paper props or whatnot We'll look to try to get in touch with the original prop master or look even deeper into like, can we find stills of this? Can we find earlier versions of it? Can we find different, you know, avenues to try to authenticate it? So in general, it is, it is as easy as pausing the movie and seeing that, you know, the paint matches up to what it is, but then for more of it, you have to get a little more creative. You have to try to reach out to the prop master or the effects people or whatever. Can we talk a little bit about the terminology? Like, Hero, stunt, production, what do all those mean? Yeah, so like a hero prop, I think like a gun is the easiest thing to talk about. Like the hero prop is the metal gun, and maybe it was originally a real gun, but it's been changed so that it fires blanks, but it's it's the one you see, like if they're shooting and there's a muzzle flash, that's the hero prop gun. They're going to use it in close-ups usually, especially if it's like right down the camera or the barrel, you know. But then... The stunt version is the foam gun. You know, for the most part, actors, like even on cop shows and TVs and stuff, they're using just foam cast versions of, of a gun, not even metal. So that would be the stunt. And then when I say like stuff like we have to try to screen match some pieces, it usually means that we're stopping the movie. We're looking at a very specific way that the paint or there's a, a small imperfection on one corner of the prop or whatever it is. Uh, that we can identify on the piece that we have in hand. So it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a weird world of vocabulary with us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something that people participating in the auction are probably going to see over and over again. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, like um, right before this, I did a live stream where I was showing off a Jumanji board that we have that screen matches to like three scenes wow. in the movie from just various different ways that the paint is done um, on the, on the game board itself. But it's, it, I'm a huge Jumanji fan. It was very cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amazing. The Boo Crew will be right back. Vertigo, a feeling of dizziness, a swimming in the head. Figuratively, a state in which all things seem to be engulfed in a whirlpool of terror as created by Alfred Hitchcock in the story that gives new meaning to the word suspense.
for horror and sci-fi fans in particular, we'll start with that. What are some of the really exciting and iconic things that this auction has to offer? So, I mean, like we're always kind of more sci-fi geared than, than horror, but I I think the alien franchise is kind of a beautiful melding of those two genres, Mm. you know? So we've got that alien queen over there, which is key. And then right behind me here is the, is the 11 foot Nostromo model from the very first alien movie from the Ridley Scott, uh, 1979, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, Wow. But I mean, that, that's our, that's our cover girl this year. That is the cover piece. Um, it's been in the company collection for a decade. It's got a crazy history on it where like, basically it was shot in England. It came to LA for the uh, movie premiere. It was kept outside under a tarp for years and got in terrible condition that we had it restored. Like there's videos that you can look up if you're into that. So like, those are, those are key pieces. And then we are always kind of the star Wars house. Brandon and Steven, our leads are, are huge star Wars nerds and know everything about every one of those films, even the ones they don't like, you know? So like we've got uh, behind me here is an original promotional uh, Darth Vader full costume, which like saying promotional might not sound cool. It was used at um, like movie premieres and, you know, things like that to meet and greet kids. But it's the helmet is made by Rick Baker, who is a huge effects and and horror movie icon as far as like creature fabrication and even the helmet that he made is the one in the empire strikes back teaser poster where it's just kind of like that ghosted image of vader's helmet in the star field (laughs) oh wow you can you can screen match if you will that that helmet to that that poster so like that piece while not in the first movie has some incredible history to it you know and it just as imposing as, as any of the original costumes. And then we've got tons from Star Wars uh, as well. We've got a, an original Ognaught mask from Empire Strikes Back, which is now even more relevant because of Mandalorian, you know, we've got an original Stormtrooper and a couple stunt lightsabers from the prequel trilogy, which um, are really cool because they kept, you know, like they're rehearsing and rehearsing with these lightsabers, you know, so they're breaking these blades all the time. So they made it so that the br- blades could unscrew from the hilt and be replaceable. So some of the, the lightsabers that we have have original stunt blades on them that you can unscrew and just have the, the hilt, the recognizable part by itself, you know? Wow. I wanted to go back to the Nostromo. Yeah, sorry. Right? I just this, like no, that's there. all yeah, good. Go that's all good. I wanted to go back to that just for a sec, because as you said, it has been something that's been a major piece of the company collection since like yeah. 2007 or whatever, when they first acquired it and went through like a restoration process, as you were, you were saying, mm-hmm. what was there any particular reason that they decided, you know, now's the time to pass it on to someone else to enjoy. When we first got it, we were a, a smaller company and yes, in a smaller office, but we, we, we had the room for it essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge piece and one that we haven't been able to display very well in house anymore we still get people reaching out because like people are just like such huge fans of alien and they want to come out and see this ship and people have like driven miles to come see it. You know, it's kind of amazing, but we just don't have the facility to house it anymore. And this being the first of our Los Angeles auctions and this piece being kind of the piece that our, our office is known for, we thought kind of best foot forward. And this was the time to try to get it out there and see if anyone's interested in finding, you know, 
11 square feet of room in their house for it. <laughs> now, there's also some things in the catalog as well that aren't necessarily screen-used items, but some amazing production-made items as well. And going mm-hmm. going back to the, the world of Alien, there is a fantastic piece from ADI that is a showstopper, like a life-size yes. clone xenomorph with a tail, which looks yes. insane. Wow. What, what are some of those other things? I know there's some other replica items that are production made as well. Can you talk about any of those specific to Alien? I know we've got one of the big, what do they call it? Like the, the alien baby from the end of Resurrection. That's oh, like cool. part, part Ripley's DNA and part it. We've got tons of um, art from the Alien franchise too. But um, that piece in particular that you're talking about, the clone alien is beautiful. It was made for... Um, by ADI, I think for promotion and then was just kind of kept in their offices. But the nice thing about that too, is that it's made of uh, resin, I think. So it doesn't, there's no deterioration, you know, like those costumes are all foam. And by the time they're done crawling up a wall or like swimming, like in resurrection or something, you know, like they're not in great shape all the time. So, so to have a piece like that, that's just kind of like showstopper ready for display, meant for display is very cool. We've got another piece like that from um, Stan Winston, who is a huge special effects wizard. Um, he did an Arnold Schwarzenegger T-800 from T2 that is all replica. But again, like the ADI piece, like it's coming from the guy that made the thing. So it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty yeah, authentic, yeah. you know, yeah. um, pretty realistic. So there's always stuff like that too in our auction. Like we've expanded over the years into posters and comic art and toys and whatnot. So even for these auctions that are just about primarily about props and costumes and whatnot, we do try to get some of that, that better replica stuff in there too. Like even the stormtrooper behind me here, we've got a full stormtrooper armor that was just originally a replica piece worn by one of the 501st members, the cosplaying organization, you know? And then that particular stormtrooper got a really secret cryptic call from Disney and wound up on the set of the Mandalorian in costumes. And now that's a screen. Oh, worn, wow. You know, wow. That's cool. A piece of the Star Trek universe. So like there's always kind of weird little story pieces like that throughout the auction too, which are, which are fun to explore. Yeah. As prop collecting becomes more popular, are you finding the studios to be more cooperative with releasing props or are they holding on to their intellectual property? It's a little of both. It's like we just announced a couple of weeks ago, we're doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which only just ended like two nights ago as of this recording. Yeah. You know? So yeah. in that case, we had a nice relationship with Marvel already. They knew the fans were into it and it was seven seasons worth of stuff. You know, they, I'm sure they kept some stuff for their archives, but they don't need all those Colson suits. They don't need all those, you know, <laughs> different badges and guns and stuff. But Marvel in particular, now this will be like our fourth or fifth auction with them, understand the value of sending it out to fans. Whereas something like there, there are some studios that now know what they've got. They know it's super rare and maybe they are going to put it in a museum and or a traveling display or something like that. So there are some people that, that understand that like, no, this is, this is our creme de la creme stuff. We can use this to market for the rest of this IP's life. We're holding on to it. And then some people like Marvel, like I said, that understand, like I'm sure Marvel kept a nice healthy chunk of what they wanted. And then the rest of it's going to be 
500, 600 lot auction for the fans. It's awesome. No, it's incredible. What an opportunity. Yeah. I wanted to talk a bit about the Edward Scissorhands gloves that you guys got. That's an incredible and iconic piece. Oh, is he going yeah. to get Oh, him? no, keep going. Sorry. Oh, I thought, yes. I thought you were yeah. going to go. <laughs> I you come back. Oh, there they are. That's oh, amazing. My so, okay, those ones in particular. Oh, so, damn. how many of those would typically be made? And would they be, would there be a metal version or those metal or those rubber? How is that? These, yeah, these are rubber or urethane. So these are, these are a stunt pair. I left the other hand over there, excuse me, but we've, we've got the full pair. They would have made, uh, uh, you know, like most every prop is made in multiples for the movie. So especially the stunts they would have made more of than the, uh, than the metal ones. But this is a beautiful pair that we've got here too. And the, the thing I love on this type of thing is, is the paintwork on it, which you guys are collectors. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you weren't holding this, if it, if I weren't holding it and you can see that it's a little wobbly, like even the way the light's hitting it, like it looks like a blade. It looks like metal. Yeah, it's you know? Exactly. Even like it's kind of got this like uh, hammered steel look on the, the hand plate or like the you know top of the hand plate there. So it's just incredible work. But yeah, they would have made a majority of them for that movie, I imagine, uh, in stunt so that Johnny Depp wasn't hurting people while he's in the background, right. you know, yeah. and then <laughs> two or three. Out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's so many like behind the scenes stories of him, like taking the real ones home and coming back with slashes on his face, you know, but then two or three for, for close-up shots for whenever he's actually cutting something or when like he brings Winona in for a hug and you see them on the, like, doing like Masquerade to him. But um, when you see them, they're really close to camera, but otherwise they would have made probably I, I couldn't begin to guess where they would have made it. It kind of depends on the budget of the movie. This is a lower budget movie. So they probably made like five or six pairs of, of the stunt hands, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about one of uh, another famous horror franchise, which is uh, the evil dead series. And you've got some stuff from yes. army of darkness in this auction. I wonder if you can talk about a few of those items, the evil ash in particular. I love, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Like a, a cable yeah. controlled puppet of evil cable ash. controlled puppet. Yeah. I mean, that one's been around the offices for a little bit too. One of our managers keeps it behind his couch, which is not at all intimidating. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, some some beautiful pieces there. I forget who made that too, but like I said, it's a full. It's basically an upper torso, and then the arms and the head. That was an articulated puppet from that, and some of the smaller um, uh, stop motion animation puppets from that movie as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was really cool to stuff. be able to see. It's neat also with this catalog and these auctions to be able to get that peek behind the curtain as to how some of these effects are done. In the case of Army of Darkness, there's this cool table that's got like a rotating wheel yes. and these oh, walking skeletons on it the way you do like a line of puppets kind of walking in right. formation there, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And done so that they could also have it at level with the camera, which is why it's on the thing. And then they've got all the gears underneath it, but no, I I'm, I'm the same as you. Like we, we've got some, it's another example. Like we've got some of the stunt motion puppets that they kind of did previs uh, for Jurassic park with like some of those dinosaurs. And it's, it's the same thing where it's just like, I can't believe they went through all this detail just to do previs or just to do these, few skeletons that are working in like one or two shots you know sure or like the detail that you find on like production maquettes too where they'll actually make like a model of a a character or whatever it's going to appear in a movie and these things are they're insane especially that that i mean it's all old man prop collector like it's all kind of retro now too because like a lot of that stuff is going to be if not all digital at least sculpted digitally and maybe printed and that type of thing but like to see some of those original maquettes or even like we've got tons of stop motion in this 
auction, especially thanks to Phil Tippett, whose work goes back to like Star Wars and Jurassic Park and, and Coneheads even, you know, anything else. Uh, but it's all handmade stuff. It's all hand designed. They then made a clay or um, similar material um, maquette out of it, like you're saying. And then that becomes the, the foam casting for the, the puppet itself. But it's, it's just... It, the artistry on it, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, we got our eye on the Nightmare Before Christmas stop motion zero, zero. puppet. <laughs> nice. Our kid. One second. One oh. second. I love the show and tell aspect. This yes. is my favorite. Oh my I know, this is fun. Oh. Wow. There we go. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. That is it's so cool. beautiful. Oh. Too. And it's also, oh, wow. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it, but um, it's still supple. Like, this this puppet it's made from a, a flexible vinyl so they could do that like you know yeah. ripple effect as he as he goes so like if you guys were to get this and wanted it displayed a certain way i'm sure you could find someone who could very carefully animate it into just that that type of position but even the the foam on the head has remained in beautiful condition on this piece i'm gonna run back and put it away before yes. I break it, but, yeah okay all right I, I just have to ask this question <laughs> Has anybody there broke something <laughs> or fallen with a prop? Like I would be so nervous. Like I feel like something. No, thank has you guys to... so much for having me on. I should go, but that is. Um, this was great. Though. This was really wonderful. Um, yes, I'm not going to go into what because it was already sold and we had it beautifully restored, uh, and the 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 buyer did know about it, but. Um, when I first started working here, I'm not the only one, but of course sure, I remember I the trauma it happens this. all the time. You know, I, was, I was a shipping manager and just like end of the day, went to go get the piece out so I could wrap it the next morning. And uh, like a, a fin basically of the thing broke off. And then later, like I was so just like mortified. Oh, and it was like bad. a month into the job and I'm like, I'm dead. I know how much they can worth, blah, blah, blah. And then like the next day, like everyone came to me and it's just like, Oh, dude! I shattered the spaceship one time. It's okay, you know. Like, yeah, yeah sure. Everybody has their stories. Like, I would exactly. be so nervous. And the thing about props is, you can get them restored. Like really old ones, they look brand yeah. new once the right person takes over and repaints it and glues it, and it looks it's fixable. Most of the stuff. I mean, like again, the Nostromo was in a field it had possums living in it you know like all of this <laughs> stuff is fixable <laughs> right. oh my god um, but yeah no i mean you know of course accidents happen especially when you've got so many pieces around like we usually do but nothing nothing truly like oh we're dead you know like nothing truly horrific just just well, it's good. Yeah. I worry about this. Yeah, stuff. seriously. I don't like, even work there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. What and like when that earthquake happened, I was like, uh, I hope the that props are okay. That is always my first thought. And I occasionally keep some of my stuff here. And like one, one time we had, uh, it was a couple of years ago, we're, we're out in Santa Clarita and there were the, the fires out here. Yeah, that's they right. Were, they were close enough that we shut down and evacuated for the day. And that day I'm like on my shelves in my office. I'm like, take this, take this, you know, just to make oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, um, but yeah, nothing truly, uh, nothing truly awful yet. Thankfully, I wanted to mention there was a, a few items, gigantic items from an incredible director that genre fans worship, us included. And that would be from Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Never heard of them. Never, <laughs> there's, there's two <laughs> items in particular I wanted to know if you could speak on. And I, I believe you probably know what those items are. 
Yeah, well, well, we've got we've got four from from one time Whoa, in Hollywood. No yes. way. We've got um, Leo's Cadillac DeVille. We've got the Carmen Ghia that Brad Pitt drives that I think was like was Leo's and then he gave it to Brad. I forget the character <laughs> yeah, names. I'm yeah, so yeah. sorry. Yeah. We've got I remember Abigail Folger for some reason. We have her Pontiac in this auction, and then we've got a Ford Galaxy that has been made and painted and rusted and distressed and all the stuff to look like the the manson family car from that film wow. um and based on the original manson family car that, that they told around and you know all four of the vehicles i just said are original cars from the era like it's not like you know a movie like that sometimes might get one or pull molds from an original car and make like a kit car version of it over like a Chevy or something that's that's easy to to hide, you know. But they're all original cars. We have the Carmukia on the other side of this wall right now, and and like you know, I love the smell of old cars and the gasoline and stuff. So it's just so cool to have it here. And they've all, like I said, original cars, but most of them have been modified a bit to be a little bit easier to handle on the road. So like, I don't think it's so much that they've gone from like stick to automatic, but I think the drive shaft on some of them and, and a few other little like things like that have been made so that they can handle a little bit easier and maneuver a little bit easier on camera. Wow. Please tell me that if COVID wasn't happening, we could have gone for a little joyride. All I want this Carmen Ghia is beautiful. It's got this baby blue cover. Like all I want to do is toll around on that thing. Oh God. <laughs> you know, for wow. work. For work, for research. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah research, yeah. You can yeah. deduct it on your taxes, too, as your exactly. work vehicle. <laughs> Just, you know, I'd love to put the V for Mendetta costume on for research. <laughs> yeah, right. There's one thing that I was really curious about. You guys actually have the camera, one of the cameras used to film Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Yes, this is a very cool piece. This is uh, an original VistaVision camera. Um, that he used for a lot of vertigo, although uh, ironically enough, not for the vertigo effects, not that like um, kind of dolly effect that he he pioneered for that movie. It was too big a camera to use for that. And they needed it just kind of a, a more standard camera to put on the dolly for that. But yeah, no, this is an original Vista Vision that was also kind of a part of the studio system at the time. Like Cecil B. DeMille used the same camera for some Ten Commandments, which is just like, you know, like I, I, I'm a huge nerd. I, I love the sci-fi stuff that we have. I love the modern stuff, but like we very rarely get something that is so old Hollywood as this that it, that it was touched and used by Cecil B. DeMille and Alfred Hitchcock for for these like seminal movies. Yeah, it's amazing. And then the the photo team did a beautiful job. If anyone's interested in that type of thing, kind of photographing, documenting every part of that camera and the assembly of it. Cause there's a few different gates that you can have on the front there shutters and the way that the side opens, or you can put the magazine on, I think on top, it's a little bit different from setup to setup. So like if anyone's kind of a gear nerd like that, definitely check out the website for all the photos on that thing. It's, it's, it's really incredible, but yeah, so rarely do we get something that's that old and that, like I'm saying, it's just like that is old Hollywood. Oh That's my so cool. god! So where would something like that wow. come from? Someone who worked on the production, or would that be from a studio? That's, I mean, there are camera collectors, and and that's from a, a consigner. I don't know where where they got it, but that's from a consigner who likely would have bought it in like an old studio sale when they're getting rid of their cameras, or the studio sold some old cameras to a 
repair shop to buy some new ones, you know, like that type of thing, you know, happens a lot, especially with gear where like, you know, it, nobody that's a, a fan of a film is going to necessarily be like, where's the camera that shot this scene all the yeah, time, yeah. <laughs> except for the, the nerds that, that get it and go like, oh my God, like DeMille and Alfred Hitchcock. That's amazing. How do you deal with items like that? That may be second or third hand items that cannot easily be authenticated by studios or prop masters. So uh, something like that is it, it, a, there's not, there's not that many divisions in that great of shape anymore. B the, the easy answer is there are pictures of Hitchcock with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the wow. harder answer is like, usually that type of thing, we're going to want to see documentation, a camera that expensive and that old will have changed hands a bunch. We'll have, we'll have bill of sale for that. So in that case, I think that was more of that, uh, the documentation angle of, of how to authenticate that piece. Sure. So there is a lot of, I mean, you guys are basically prop detectives for a big part of what you guys do. I'll, yeah. I'll yeah. take that title. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Are you, you going to make some costumes? Yeah. 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 Would that happen yeah. as a prop detective? Yeah, very dumb detective work. I want that. I know you do. I do too. <laughs> but yeah, there's a bit of, yeah, always having to kind of confirm and, and verify type thing. Like you always want to have a little bit of a doubt with it, especially if it's something like that, where it's like the camera's out on screen. We don't know until we do some research, you know, tell everybody how they can be a part of this auction. It's coming up quick. So yeah, very soon uh, on the 26th and 27th, like I said, just go to propstore.com slash live auction and you can register there and you can browse the entire catalog of over 860 pieces of iconic stuff. So um, definitely come check us out. And if you're on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram, we've been doing live streams uh, like we talked about uh, this past week. We'll be doing more. And we've got some beautiful videos on Facebook, some product videos, and then um, our COO, Brandon, uh, went in-depth on the Nostromo and the um, Darth Vader pieces specifically. So like, if you want to see a guy for you know, 15, 20 minutes show you every little piece of, of those items, then that's what you want. You know, and there's so many people in our audience that want that. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, and then for people who, who are about to bid on, on items, are there things like payment plans or how does that work? Yeah, totally. Um, we always do payment plans for live auctions like this. We've got a three month payment plan, which is just, you pay 20% down upfront and then equal payments over the next month. So it basically cuts it up into, into quarters. Uh, so that things are a little more affordable really from every auction, like the majority of people take advantage of that, which is why we keep offering it. And then for people who, uh, you know, just, just in general prop store, isn't just about their auctions. Talk a bit about how every day there's new items that people can actually go on the site. Yeah. Like I said, it started as a fixed price model store and we've, we've always kept that up because people come on every day, like you're saying at nine in the morning or, um, the equivalent uh, UK time uh, in order to see what we've got. But both our LA and UK offices put up fixed price items, new fixed price items every day. Uh, so in general, we'll have, you know, eight to maybe 12 or 14 new items up on the site every day. You know who checks every day? I, I believe that. With some of the emails I've gotten from you guys, I believe this is wholeheartedly. It's, it's part of like the morning routine now, really. Yeah. yeah go in prop store, see what's up there. Okay. All right. Got that out of the way. Well, you guys... T- do too what what i do we're like i'll find out that someone sold something in the past and just like can you tell me anything about this exactly and i totally understand yeah. like i've done it for so many other 
and I always have to do it from a disguised email, so it's not like, hey, prop store Matt wants to know. You know? <laughs> All right. Right. <laughs> uh, well, awesome, man. You got anything else before we uh, let Matt go? Well, I just want to say one of my favorite pieces is the Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. I love, yes, the vial. Oh my gosh, I'm like drooling. Like That's right, yep. the pictures of it. It's just gorgeous. Like I want that so bad. <laughs> I, I totally. That was one of those movies that I saw way too young as a kid, but then loved for some reason. You know, so when those came in, and again, we don't always get like that type of. I don't know what you'd call that genre, even because there's like the comedy element of it and the whatever, and obviously horror in there too. But, but we don't always get stuff from films like that. But when those came in, like, they're gorgeous. I wish you were here so we could I take know. a look at them. I know. I want to just, like, well, I want to touch it. I just want to, I want to keep yep. it. But I just want to <laughs> see, like, it shine. Because, like, when the mm-hmm. light hits in, I'm sure, like, the glass, it looks probably gorgeous. I'm sure you've checked out the, the photo sets on those were great, too. Like, oh, Yeah. So many items in all of our auctions. Uh, I'll steal the photos just because I want to keep them. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And our kid, our three-year-old, his favorite book, I kid you not, is the Prop Store catalog. Like, he, <laughs> he can barely talk, but he's like, Prop Store, Prop Store. Like, he likes looking at Jurassic Park because he loves dinosaurs and he knows so sure. much about them that he literally loves catalog so everybody oh, should that's go so cute I, get the catalog that's awesome yeah the catalogs are like beautifully designed i yes, mean you guys have yeah. gone all out on these catalogs and even if you don't they participate in the auction it. just having that book around on the coffee table is it's yeah. something to behold yeah they kill it every time to the point where we, i'm sorry to say we've sold out of this year's catalog because <laughs> wow, it's, I believe it's it. done so well but if anyone's like interested in seeing what it's like um the pdf version is free to download at the website so definitely check that out and we also might be doing another run on those so if some become available keep an eye out on the site very cool all right well i know what we're doing uh this uh august 26th and 27th (laughs) (laughs) i am i'm ready big screen (laughs) yeah book the day two days off work we're just gonna sit down and watch (laughs) right on That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 150. Special thanks to our guest, Matt Truix from Prop Store. Prop Store's entertainment memorabilia live auction takes place at time of release, August 26th and 27th. Go to PropStore.com to get registered. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode 9 with Lydia Hurst, episode 68 with Profiles in History, and episode 131 with Greg Nicotero. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.